Welcome to Sometimes Dead is Better, and it's me, Kristen. And me, Chris. And we're right in the middle of October. Yes, Halloween month. (laughs) Yes, that's just the best month ever. It It just makes me so happy. Yeah, we also have an election coming up, so that's exciting. Oh, gosh. I can't wait for that to be over. I already voted. I'm done. I did my voting. Okay, see, I haven't haven't gotten to vote yet, so I'm I'm still excited about it. I love love voting. I'm such a nerd. I know. (laughs) I love the debates. it, It feels good. But it's also, it's just so much stress. I know, but I, my favorite thing probably in years is always just watching the election results come in. Just oh, I like, really? I like numbers anyway. I like statistics <laughs> and like mm-hmm. red and blue. <laughs> so it's just a perfect <laughs> night for me, but it's been just a great month. It has. Yeah, but for the pandemic ravaging the country. Right. <laughs> Our highest numbers yeah. just this week. It's not good. Uh, but let's talk about something happy. Um, Murder? Murder, Yes. So this week we're doing another uh, classic. Uh, when I say classic, I mean, you know, traditional horror movie that's not too obscure or more in the vein of a, a Halloween-themed movie, I would think. Well, I think when we first started talking about this movie, which was Friday the 13th. Yes, it is. We were kind of like, well, is there enough to talk about with just the first movie? Maybe we should double up. But I started watching it and like doing some research. I was like, we got plenty to talk about, I think. Right. I, I sure think it'll be fun. Well, but first, we'll talk about what else we've been watching. Right. And then we'll get into Friday the 13th. So what have you been watching? Well, I'll say that um, thanks to your brother, um, and to follow up on last week's uh, successful episode on uh, Bly Manor, Mm -hmm. I watched uh, The Innocents, which is one of the first, maybe the first movie based on the turn of the screw. It's from 1960, I'm going to say. <laughs> I think it's 60, yeah. yeah. Maybe, no, 61, I think it was. 61, right. So yeah, I also watched it with you, but I had had a lot to drink, and right. I don't remember it. Right, so I watched it again. It's on <laughs> It's on YouTube, and it's uh, you know free. It's reasonably good quality. There's some weird sound noises, sound quality issues. Uh, but I recommend it because I couldn't find any other way to watch it. It's not on Amazon. It's on Netflix. I mean, I guess you could buy the thing. So um, I won't get too much into it, but uh, I do, I mean, because we kind of talked a lot about Bly Manor on the podcast and it's not, I mean, well, I mean, it's quite dissimilar, but it has a lot of the same beats for sure. But it's, uh, it's excellent. It was written in part by Truman Capote. He did at least some heavy duty script doctoring on it. Pretty weird, fucked up, black and white, gothic, pseudo- pedophiliac <laughs> um there's just a lot going on in the movie uh there's some real disturbing scenes involving uh the character that ostensibly who is she be in blind manner i guess she would be um miss giselle jessel yeah so i think she may have the same last name in this one right so if you watch it in comparison to blind manner it's kind of fun to see the same beats like it's a very similar and, and even more fun to see where blind manner got certain things from like the apparition of, of peter coming through the window in episode three of blind, <gasps> right or maybe episode two of blind manner is taken directly from the innocence that same image of of the peter characters sort of slowly appearing in the window happens pretty deep into that movie Oh, very cool. Uh, the image of Miss Giselle across from the pond in the weeds just staring at the characters. I do remember that. Yeah, that is directly lifted from the innocence. Um, I even, remember kind of coming to and going, 
<gasps> right. Yeah. And then passing back out. <laughs> try to high five, couldn't quite make it. <laughs> so there's a lot to it. And there's also a lot of other sort of maybe even more disturbing elements. There's a whole lot going on between the character that is basically uh, Miles. He may have mm-hmm. the same name. I just, I'm just bad at that. Yeah, um, he does. In the, in, the, in the Innocence, there's this very weird romantic aspect between Miles and Miss Giselle and a lot of uh, some smooching, some weird stuff like that. And at the same time, he's like a 10-year-old kid. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, just, I can't uh, wait to try to watch this again. Yeah, so it gives you some very strange, like, uh, what's that famous teacher that molested a kid? Mary Kay Luterno? There's some, yeah, it, some is, that, it, is it is that or is that a gymnast? <laughs> <laughs> if, if, if I just said a gymnast name and called her a pedophile, you'll have to cut that. Uh-huh. No, I think it is Mary Kay Letourneau, but there's also a lot of gymnasts who have like those three names, you know. So anyway, the innocence is very transgressive. I'll say that there's just a lot of very disturbing. It's not like one of the scariest movies you'll ever see. It's kind of like Blind Manor. A lot of the mm-hmm. themes are scary and there's just some really sort of sadistic kind of nihilistic almost touches to it but it's not like a scare fest it's not that type of movie but as far as like a psychological horror movie goes it's probably what you would compare it to it's it's really good one and the fact Ooh. that it was made in 61 you say um <laughs> makes it even more interesting because it's kind of right up there with psycho as far as just weird sexual politics and sort of transgressive vibes throughout the whole thing so i gave it i give it a thumbs up and um, once again, shout out to Casey for picking it. I'm curious what Casey thought. We didn't really get to talk about it because we all passed out. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It was a fun night. We had a bonfire. Yeah, it was a blast. So what have you been watching? First, I wanted to say that I started watching the TV show Evil. Oh, I've been wanting to watch that. Isn't it kind of X-Files-ish? Very X-Files-ish. Okay. And I um, first didn't want to give it really give it a chance because it's a CBS show. I don't know. They're just not really those procedural type shows, CSI and stuff are just, I don't really enjoy them. I like, I like some drama like Grey's Anatomy and things like that. But so I wasn't, (laughs) (laughs) I'm not a snob, but that's just not really my particular taste. I've heard nothing but but good things about it. David Sims posted something about it on Twitter about how he was going to watch it and that he liked it. And so it's got Michael Emerson in, in it as a bad guy. So, you know, that's right up my alley. I listen to the Scrubs podcast a lot. You know, it's called Fake Doctors, Real Friends. And they have um, something that they do where they have a bingo board because they talk about the same things a lot. Certain things will come up, kind of like how we do, you know? Yeah. So I thought that would be fun if we could make our own bingo boards. Like Kristen mentions Lost or someone mentions Lost, you know? Or you mention the Scrubs podcast. That is, that's good. That's very yeah, meta, actually. <laughs> I know. But I thought that was funny. But oh, also, this is another tangent. I'm sorry. You know, Zach Braff is dating Florence Pugh. Yes. Who we worship right. from Midsummer and Little Women. We stand a queen. So he talks about his girlfriend. He'll say, then. so then he recently started saying her name. He calls her Flo. And then she was on the podcast. Oh, she, wow. like, just, she just like walked in. And I was like, oh, hello. And I was just floored. Like, I was just, like, looking around. I was in my car alone, and I was like, you guys, this Florence Pugh. She's right there. What, where is was, Florence Pugh from? Is she British? Yes, she's from London. Okay. I didn't know that for some reason. And she comes on, and she just starts talking about the pizza that she made, and Donald, did you try the oil that I... And so now they have, like, a Oh, flow. she finds some Turk, too? I guess so. And Turk, Turk, Donald Faison, obviously our friends, too, and... Now she comes on and it's like Flo's cooking corner and she will give like cooking tips to Donald. And it's very sweet. And also um, they address the fact that Zach Braff is like way out of his league. 
and like and Zach Braff was like look I understand it doesn't make any sense I don't know why she's with me and then flows in the back go oh <laughs> it was just like so nice to hear them talk and then so Donald Faison you think he's gonna come on and say no man you deserve her but instead he was like dude yeah you're way outside your pay grade <laughs> And Zach Braff's just like, I realize this, and everyone on the internet can stop telling me this. I don't know why she's with me. So it was very, very cute. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can see him being a, a type. I mean, I guess it didn't really hurt that he's a, you know, famous director, actor. <laughs> That's yeah, he's very kind funny. Of beloved, yeah. Yeah, he's uh, very sweet. Um, evil. Right. <laughs> that was the TV show I started. And, I mean, it is still very, like, CBS-y. It's very formulated. But... It's very enjoyable. All the actors are great. It's got Luke Cage up in there. Who's the main actor? Is that Luke Cage? Well, so there's three, I guess, main actors. The main one is Christian Bouchard, Dr. Christian Bouchard. And that's played by Katja Herbers. I don't know her. She's been in tons of stuff. She was in The Leftovers, apparently. I don't remember. She was in The Americans. Uh, she's in Westworld. And then uh, Mike Coulter plays David Acosta. And that's Luke Cage. And they're kind of like the Mulder and Scully. And then there's Asif Manvi. Do you remember him from, he was on The Daily Show? Yeah. He's yeah. really funny. He plays like their their third, kind of like, he's like their, um, not necessarily the lone gunman because he's more trying to debunk everything. Like he's the, the scientist. Like he'll find the metal corrosion that's causing the issue or it's the sound of the dishwasher that's, so I guess he's kind of a Scully type too, but. So what's, how's it different necessarily than the X-Files? I mean, is it? So they do not, I guess they probably don't do like UFOs and stuff. Or. Well, it's all God stuff, which mm. also I don't really like, usually. I liked it when they would sprinkle it in with Scully, you know, but it wasn't like a main theme of X-Files. It came up and it was interesting at the time. So, but so David Acosta, Luke Cage works for the Catholic Church yeah. and they invest, him and Asif investigate paranormal things that happen that are supposedly demon related. And then they bring on... Katja, or Dr. Christian Bouchard, because she's a forensic psychologist. So, you know, it's a little different roles. It's not FBI or even police force. Like, it's interesting because they can't actually arrest anybody or they just investigate for the church. Michael Emerson plays like a devil type character. And of course, he's just so great. Christine Lottie is on it. I mean, so far, I really like it. It's not too heavy. It's not too serious. It's there's funny parts and I watched the Halloween episode last night and it was very enjoyable. So I recommend it. And it's by the same um, Michelle and Robert King who made The Good Wife. Oh, okay, Yeah. Which I watched a good amount of The Good Wife. That's one of my mom's favorite shows. And I like The Good Wife. I just kind of got out of it. But I kind of had the same issue I had when I first started watching Castle Rock and Terry O'Quinn showed up. And then I just started watching Lost again. I kind of had that same problem when Michael Emerson showed up. Uh, I just really wanted to start Lost season two, which I might actually do that. So what have we been drinking? Well, we're separate again. Right. We're separate. So we did agree on something and then I went and got something else. Yeah. And I got something wildly different. So it all worked Did you out. really? Yeah. I couldn't yeah, okay, find so, what you're looking for. Oh, no, no, no. But we were going to get Red Stripe. Is that what you got? No, I did not. Okay, so we had thought about getting Red Stripe, because that seems to be what they're drinking in the Monopoly scene, Strip Monopoly. Question, haven't we done Red Stripe on the podcast before? I feel like we have. Maybe because Red Stripe's usually kind of a drink of choice 
as generic beer in these movies, but I don't uh, know. It's a good question. I feel like we have anyway. We didn't do it today, kids. All right. So what did you get? So I found something that comma I is called the Observer, mm. which is very uh, Mrs. Voorhees or Jason for that matter. Oh, I like it. Yeah, it's by Trim Tab Brewing, which is uh, in Birmingham. They do nothing but delicious beers, and I took it home. I saw it's eight percent alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's a super IPA. It has sort of a more fruity taste to it, but it is an IPA and it's very strong. About half of it, I'm already kind of buzzed. Oh, great. This is going to be a train wreck. Am I ready? I think that's great. Yeah, because we talked about in the Texarkana murder movie, which I can never remember the name. What was that called? Uh, Sundown at at Moondocks. <laughs> what was it called? <laughs> the town that dreaded Sundown. Yes. That already had the like the POV of the killer in that, yeah. which um, we can't say for sure if that was the first movie that had it, but it definitely was before Friday the 13th. Right. Well, I was watching the um, history of horror, whatever it's called on AMC, you know, with um, Eli Roth and mm-hmm. you know, everyone else. <laughs> and uh, there is a movie that adopts the POV. <sighs> God, I can't remember what it was. They talked about it, but it was definitely okay. before Friday the 13th and Halloween for that matter. I guess there is a little bit of that in Psycho, you know, like when he's looking through the peephole. It's not exactly the same, though. Yeah, what is it? This can drive me crazy. Anyway, no, it wasn't Psycho, um, but it's something that explicitly has sort of a point of view, stalking the victim type thing. But anyway, that's what I've been drinking. So what did you what did you choose? I found a beer called Campfire Amplifier. Ooh. And it's by Dogfish Head, can who I, I know it? you like. I did see some Dogfish Head beers, but not that one, so... That looks pretty. Well, this is supposed to take place in the summertime, the movie. Yeah. And so this is a campfire and it's, this is a, like a, it's a stout. So I was a little worried because usually these are really heavy, but this is not very heavy at all. It's very good. It's a milk stout brewed with graham crackers, cinnamon, marshmallows, and with cocoa powder and vanilla beans. <laughs> Why would you think that would taste heavy? <laughs> <laughs> but it's really not. Like, that's why I'm surprised. Yeah. I've never seen the leaves change the way they do in the summertime as they do in this movie. Did you notice that? No, no. Are you suggesting it didn't wasn't shot during the summer and that they cut corners somehow? It was not. Ooh, okay. I first noticed it when they're out on the lake and they show the trees and they're all like yellow and red. And so I looked it up and it was filmed in September and October of 1979. Yeah, it does feel like there's some scenes where they're wearing maybe sweaters or something. I'm not sure. That may be one of the sequels, which I've already watched three sequels so far. I'm sorry. I got right. excited. but. Um, <laughs> So I guess we should say in talking about this movie, Chris and I decided we're going to approach it from a certain you know angle, which generally is that uh, as if the Jason sequels generally don't exist, which is very hard to do. But famously, this movie does not really feature Jason Voorhees, at least not as a killer. You know, the killer right. is someone else entirely. So we thought it'd be a fun project to talk about this movie as if it was the only one with it all the sort of Jason baggage and uh, the you know 10 15 years of sequels and all the sort of iconic iconography <laughs> if that's the word that goes along with that iconography very good thank you so if you allow us to do so we'll we'll do that okay so let's go back to 1980 let's before there was the famous Jason Voorhees with the hockey mask and this was a simpler time much simpler yeah and so 1980 was the same year that a lot of big horror movies came out. That's The Shining came out, yeah. Prom Night, The Fog. 
Yeah, there's even a there's even a shining S scene I was going to talk about that I thought maybe a ripoff, but then I realized, oh no, it's too close in time. They could have oh. possibly ripped off. Uh, but we'll, well, I think it's probably pretty obvious what it is, but we'll talk about it when it happens. Well, and so this was directed by Sean Cunningham, right? Who started in softcore porn with Wes Craven. Cool. You know, they they both started in porn. I didn't know that. I knew that they both had. I know he had a lot to do with Laugh House on the Left, but I didn't know that they had done porn before that. Yeah, and apparently Wes Craven, you know, started getting like more and more into this porn, and he's like, I gotta get out of this, or I'm gonna be stuck, and then I'm gonna be known for the guy who makes porn. And but Sean Cunningham also, which you can see how he might have some experience with a little bit of softcore porn. We got a little little bacon action there. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Like he, like he just couldn't help it. Like this is what movies yeah. are like, right? <laughs> Grab his buttocks. <laughs> they had a pizza delivery guy show up for right. no reason. And... Yeah, this is what happens. But yeah, so he produced Last House on the Left and Freddy vs. Jason. But the movie was written by Victor Miller. Right. Did he? I don't think he did anything else, did he? Uh, this is his kind of claim to fame, I think. But yeah, as far as I understand it, like Sean Cunningham approached Victor Miller and basically said, yeah, let's do a Halloween movie. Um, right. You know, that movie is selling tickets like hotcakes and <laughs> yeah. we want in on that action. And they're pretty, you know, uh, open about that. Like, yeah, we, we want to do a... So they're openly writing the coattails of that movie, uh, which is pretty much evident in every single shot and with a few... You know, twist, but it's interesting you said that this is one of the most kind of influential slasher movies, and you're absolutely right. But it's interesting in itself because it's also a copycat, like a blatant copycat. I know, I know. I think when when I look back, it really does seem like they're so different to me. But that's because I also wasn't living like in that time. Like I didn't see these movies in the movie theater. Yeah, and say like, hey, this ripped off Halloween. Like I saw them so separate from each other. Yeah. So what I compare it to is like uh, when I was uh, a child or a teenager in the '90s. When Stone Temple Pilots came out, I was enraged. Like, I thought <laughs> they were the biggest ripoff of Pearl Jam, and they got the sort of Alice in Chains look, and I just thought they were the sort of biggest sort of joke band. Now, I listen to Stone Temple Pilots all the time because they're an amazing band, and they're fun to listen to, and they're great. And Scott Wilde's an icon, and uh-huh. who cares if they were, like, a year later than Pearl Jam and Nirvana and... And really, it's kind of just a coincidence. They're kind of doing similar things and just a little bit less originally. That's a good comparison. Thank I you. like that. Yeah, I, I worked that out. Um, <laughs> also, wanted to just give some, you know, Suntel Pilots love because I I just sh- talked shit about them for years, and they're such a good. Did band. you really? I re- I hated them so much. Were you on? Did you have like a message board, and I can see you like on no, there? No, but I was just the biggest snob in in <laughs> high school, especially about anything like that. Like even like Oasis at the time, because they were ripping off the Beatles. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> And it's like, I couldn't do any of that. I couldn't even play guitar. Who am I, what am I talking about? Um, but, oh, I loved Oasis, man. Well, I, I, I eventually got on board pretty pretty quickly. But there's a, I mean, I don't know what I was thinking. I, I missed out on so much enjoyment in high school. I went through that snob phase, too. I did the same thing with movies. Like, I would be really snobby about yeah, movies. Like, I know you did last summer. Like, they're ripping off screen. And I'm sure <laughs> Jennifer Love Pugh was like, yeah, we are. I mean, here's my million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, I went on a date one time and there was nothing in the movie theater that I deemed good enough to see. And I was like, I'm not going to watch any of this. And I made him like take me home. He was also rude. So I'm sure that didn't help either. But he wanted to go see like The Greatest Catch, whatever. The movie with Jessica Biel with a baseball movie. I was like, I'm not going to go see that. Well, I don't blame you, but it sounds terrible. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) But anyway, that's that's what I was like. And it sounds like what you were like, too. Uh, But that's what it reminds me of is Friday 13th was a Stone Temple Pilots to Halloween's. Take your pick. Nirvana, Soundgarden, 
but we're only talking about the early 90s Seattle scene, so that otherwise <laughs> that metaphor doesn't really work. Um, but they're both great, and have, uh, Friday the 13th is great in its own way. It's obviously not the sort of A-plus masterpiece Halloween is, but as far as what it's doing, you can only kind of measure a movie by what it sets out to do and how well does it do it. It does it you know, very well. Yeah, and it um, gave us Kevin Bacon. Yes. I'm sure Kevin Bacon would have been fine anyway, but... Uh, apparently he was already in Animal House, so this was not quite his right. first movie. They may have come out like the same time. Well, so Tom Savini, who we talked about before on Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, he's back. For the special effects. Yeah, and he actually, you know, and I know we're not supposed to talk about the sequels, but I will say he did come back for part four uh, and did a masterful job in part four. Like part four. So you already broke the rules. I know. I'm sorry. I'm not talking about Jason, though. I'm talking about Tom Savini. <laughs> okay, okay. This movie was almost called Long Night at Camp Blood. Yeah, and that's that's a bit apocryphal. I've read different stories that that was never really the official title. Who knows? I like it. Yeah, but supposedly it was always... like I, I read somewhere that uh, the director basically sold the studio on the title of Friday the 13th and how badass mm-hmm. the title that was. But I think maybe on the slate, they had like a shooting draft called Camp Blood something something. Mm-hmm. And that's maybe where that story came from. Well, Crazy Ralph calls it Camp Blood. He sure does, yeah. He's right. He's the only one that's right. Well, you know, Gene Siskel hated this movie, which I yeah. thought was pretty funny. Uh, he gave it no stars, and he ruined the ending in his review. <laughs> right? Yeah, they both they both hated him. Right? I, I was looking at Roger Ebert's reviews of like I think he reviewed like part two, and he just said I think he gave it half a star. <laughs> and he said like just use this review for any, any of the movies. Which oh, like, oh man, God! They both of them never liked horror movies. They they didn't like they didn't like Blue Velvet by David Lynch. They didn't mm-hmm. like Sounds. Well, I think Ebert liked Sounds Flames, but. Uh, Siskel did. I mean, they, they certainly weren't the only one. I mean, there's this is definitely a movie about slaughtering young people. Well, and allegedly also Gene Siskel put Betsy Palmer's address in the review Which is and weird. told people to write her. Is that weird? Is that real? I read that too. I mean, I'm not I mean, sure seems... why you would do that, but she already made the movie. What's she going to do? <laughs> this movie was made for, um, guess how much money this was made. This is one of the lower budgets we've talked about, even lower than Texas Chainsaw. Okay, so Texas Blair Chainsaw... Witch. Okay, it was like seven hundred. Exactly. Blair Witch was like fifty. Yeah, so somewhere in between there. <laughs> <laughs> hundred and twenty-five. Nope, higher. Three hundred. It was made for five hundred fifty thousand dollars. Okay. But guess how much it made in nineteen eighty? Twelve billion. Forty million. Are you serious? No, I mean yes. So in nineteen, <laughs> so in nineteen eighty, that was eighty times his budget. So when people complained about the sequels, like why wouldn't you make ten sequels to that fucking thing? It made eighty times his budget. I mean, do you know what like overall like the entire series has made? Oh no, I have no idea. I mean, I'm sure the first five or six they must have made maybe five hundred million combined, and not that doesn't even include like video sales and that type of thing. Right. Jason mask and merchandise and. I know. So that's kind of fascinating. And so Paramount Studios really lucked out with that, you know, ripoff movie they <laughs> signed off on reluctantly. <laughs> so this was filmed at a real camp called Camp Nobi Soko in New Jersey. And it's like still operating. How cool would it be to go to that camp? Well, our friend Melissa went to the camp. Oh, that's right. Yeah, And she actually sent us a, uh, an email about this year. Apparently they're doing it again uh, this year because it's the fourth anniversary so whoever runs the camp does some sort of Friday 13th tour slash right. event at the actual campsite. And it's, I guess, based on mostly, you know, the first movie, which I assume is the only one that was shot there. So that would make sense. But uh, Melissa says they take you to some of the, you know, the kill sites, that, you know, and the filming sites. And usually there's like a 
guest star maybe for one of the movies uh, there. So when talking about the movie, we also have to talk about uh, the music, which is fairly iconic. You know, it's by Harry yeah. Harry Manfredini, who yeah. in my watch of possibly other sequels that may or may not exist, he's done all of them so far. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if he just reuses music, music over and over again. Um, cause it's so not, has he done a lot of other movies? I don't... Or does he kind of stick within this? I don't know. That's interesting. I'll have to look it up. I don't. I think it's mostly this. Um, but he said that he actually came up with uh, the famous uh, Jason sound, or, or I guess in this movie, the Miss Voorhees sound. You know, the... I can't do it, but you know, the, yeah. the killer sound. What he says is supposed to be... Ki, 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 ma, 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 which translates to kill, 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 ma, ma, ma. Is that true, though? That cannot it, really... be, it does not sound like that at no. all. No. Okay. I think that that somehow became like an urban legend type thing. Yeah. Because it sounds for sure like... There's a C-H-I sound. Yeah. And the second... And it's a ha, ha, ha. Yes. So I think I know because when we were kids, we used to do that to each other in the woods. So we know. We watch those movies every day. And even after I read that, I thought, oh, how interesting. There is no key, 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 and no ma, ma, ma. <laughs> um, so fuck you, Harry Manfredi. <laughs> we are laying down the law on this. It's cha-cha-cha. But he's very insistent about it. I've seen several interviews where he talks and about And he that. said it? He himself said it. He said he was doing the score, and he was watching a scene where Miss Voorhees uh, talks about Jason and how, you know, today's his birthday, and how when she's saying, like, kill him, mummy, uh, and that's where he got it from. Also, talk about using your son as an excuse to murder people. I mean, <laughs> well, that is just... Well, you usually use your mom. Zing. <laughs> <laughs> that's so true. Yeah. All right, so the movie starts out in 1958. Right. And it looks just, just like 1958, doesn't it? Well, I mean, it's, it's in a camp. What's it going to look like? I mean... The kids all have like shaggy hair. That's true. Yeah, they don't. The look girls quite... are wearing shorts, which I don't think would be allowed. Right. In Fascinating. Yeah, they probably wouldn't be there. They'd probably be in a separate camp altogether. <laughs> right. Girls and boys would not be allowed to be hanging out with each other. I did not even think about that. It's like sure, 1958 sounds right. <laughs> so we get a POV shot going through the cabin, and the kids are at the camp. The counselors are sitting around singing. Right. That seems very Which, 1958. Whereas in yeah, the... Yeah, it all seems very innocent. In the present, yeah. they're drinking Unless they were singing like Leonard Skinner or... <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they're having a sing-along and you see someone is kind of creeping about. So I guess if you've just seen Halloween, you're already thinking, okay, we, we know this is the killer because otherwise you, maybe you wouldn't be sure what was going on. So then two counselors uh, decide that they're going to have some sex. Right. <laughs> And so they go to a, a barn in a hayloft, and that's where we have our first kill, which as far as the pre-credits kill sequence, I mean, it's not very, it doesn't really establish how kind of nuts the movie is, because the movie has some pretty inventive kills, and this one is like not one of them. We don't see anything. You don't see anything. Well, you kind of see him get, like, hold his stomach, I think, and you see some blood, yeah. and then it kind of like freeze frames on the girl right. screaming, and then they kind of cut to the opening credits so it seems like the shock is that that a people get killed at all (laughs) and uh b that uh, i guess the idea is like you already know that this person that's killing them is familiar to them because the the boy says oh hello or something like that he's not really surprised to see whoever whoever (laughs) which at that time wouldn't make more sense because i mean spoiler alert it was i guess the cook there right wouldn't you like the cook or yes i think they established that 
Yeah. So it'd just be, I think it'd still be weird if the Coke showed up, <laughs> climbed the ladder, <laughs> uh, and it's just there at all for some reason. But I guess that's the hook of the the opening is the idea that, okay, someone these people know is killing them. So maybe you think it's right. another camper, another counselor. That's kind of interesting. It. <laughs> could be it. <laughs> well, then they cut to the Friday the 13th logo and it crashes through glass. It sure does. Yeah. Uh, they were not playing around with that. It was very cool when I was a kid. I'll say that. Now I can't yeah. giggle. Um, I'll say in the sequels, which may or may not exist, uh, they explode <laughs> oh. with fire, which doesn't really make as much sense. And so then we catch a Friday the 13th, present day. Present so day. So they mean present day like 1980? 2020. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I mean, I can only imagine. I mean, I don't know what... I, I do think it's funny whenever movies do that, present day, and it's like, well... What? Why don't I just say the year? I but, know. So we're in, uh, we're in Friday 13, 2020. They're all dressed like the 80s for some reason, which is it's weird. an odd choice. There's no cell phones. No, no cell phones. So we have uh, Robbie Morgan. She's kind of famous okay. just for this movie. But yeah, she plays Annie, who I just call the hitchhiker. She's mm-hmm. on her way to Camp Crystal Lake for her new job. I think they're just setting up the camp. It's unclear whether they're going to be counselors, too. I guess they are. She's going to be the new cook. Right, yeah, so she's not even a counselor. She's going to be the cook. Yeah, but that's still, that's kind of uh, freaky, you know? Yeah, once, yeah. so she's like, a, ooh, that's interesting. So she's walking through town, I guess whatever town is next to Camp Crystal Lake. They don't really say. Maybe it's called Crystal Lake, I don't know. She meets a dog. That's oh, <laughs> kind of a weird interaction with a dog. <laughs> so, yeah. How does she see, he must have like some huge balls. I'm yeah. just like so confused because she barely sees him. Yeah, she calls her girl, and then she goes, oh, excuse me, boy, so... Either he told her, or <laughs> she saw something yeah. very quickly. I it's, don't know. It's evident pretty early on that Annie might be a moron. We're not, we're not, we're not clear. <laughs> <laughs> she seems very cartoony. She's like, strange, she's just, yeah. She's, like she's very happy. Yeah, she is. So she's uh, walking through town. She's trying to find you know directions to the lake. So she, <laughs> she comes to a diner. No one is wearing masks. It's kind of strange because it's... <laughs> Yeah, the present, present day, right? Um, but she asked for you know directions, Camp Crystal Lake, and things get ominous. Yes, and then Crazy Ralph rears his head. And I'm not being mean; that's literally what the town calls him. It's Crazy yeah. Ralph. That's his Christian name. Yeah, right. So he comes up on his bike and uh, very hopefully tells her, "Don't go there; you'll get murdered." Yeah, <laughs> and it's cursed. Which you know, as far as it goes, he's pretty on point. He comes up throughout the movie. I think he should have been, I mean, he should probably should get the key to the city or something. As far as, <laughs> uh, but she just says, oh, crazy Ralph. And and she immediately gets in the truck with a random trucker. Who like, I don't know if you noticed, but whenever he, he like helped her up, he like kind of grabs her, grabbed her butt. But she's 20 miles away from the camp. He says he'll drive her 10 miles, drop her off at the bypass or whatever, which is a cemetery, which is not a good right sign and then she's still got another 10 miles to get to camp so she plans on hitchhiking again which we end up realizing is a bad right idea but the trucker does give her the first sort of hints of uh, the horrors to come or, or at right least... he guess he does tell her about what happened so yeah. in 57 a kid drowned yeah and then in 58 two counselors were murdered yeah and there was also some fire at some point right kind of makes you laugh like that maybe jason set a fire <laughs> <laughs> or, or Miss Forhees. And then there's also some bad water. Which, right. That's... So I guess she's up there trying to make sure nobody comes back to camp. Yeah. So do you think she like poisoned the water? 
Maybe. Yeah. Or maybe it's Jason's bloated corpse that poisoned the water. <laughs> would that would that do? Maybe. It? Maybe. Yeah. So Enos, the truck driver, drops her off, and then we cut to some other camp counselors are driving in a truck with some crazy banjo music. That was an odd choice, yeah. When you said some other camp counselors, I assume you I'm meant sorry. to replace iconic camp counselors instead of stored <laughs> some because we yes. have Kevin Bacon. Yes, who uh, plays Jack. Right. Well, I was just going to call him Kevin Bacon. We have Marcy and we have Ned. Who's so, the jokester. Yeah, Ned is a jokester, which watching maybe some other movies in this series, I mean, I'm not saying they exist, but there always is like, apparently a Ned type character. It actually gets a little bit confusing because I always think, is that Ned? <laughs> but there's just always that type. I guess this also kind of sets the precedent of like the jock the hot girl the slut and then that's kind of played on in cabin in the woods which is great so there's like the jokester and then there's the hot guy and um there's the virgin of course yeah and i guess ned could be the virgin too maybe i'm not really sure well he seems to be like in marcy but marcy is with the bacon yeah but he also likes brenda who we meet a little bit later so i think he he just kind of he's just the jokester guy that no one all the girls kind of allow don't take serious right but we like them. This is one of the things about the movie. I, I'm speaking presumptively because I, I thought they're all pretty good, likable characters. But I think these movies get a bad rap as far as having sort of what they call, especially like in the Cisco and Eber of it all, of these sort of disposable teenagers that no one likes that just get slaughtered and you kind of cheer for it. At least in this first movie, that's, I think, absolutely not the case. I mean, every, No, I like all of them. Yeah, and they're not even teenagers as far as I can tell. They seem to be... Young adults at best, maybe the early twenties. I'm not. There's nothing evidence right. that they're like from high school or something. So uh, maybe as movies goes on, I'm not even 100 percent convinced of that. I mean, Nightmare on Elm Street, sure, teenagers. You know, Johnny Depp, classic teenager. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but in these movies, I think they kind of get a bad rap, especially in this first one. I mean, these are not sex crazed teenagers just out doing bad things and uh, kind of just waiting to kill. They have, they're pretty distinct personalities. I'm not saying they're yeah. well-developed personalities, but they're fairly likable young adults that you can kind of reasonably identify with as someone you may, you know, hang out with or whatever. But we also meet Steve Christie, who is the owner. Right. He apparently is like, maybe the camp is like in the family of the Christies, because the Christies is mentioned at some point. So he right. must be like the son of the owner of the original camp or something. But we meet him, like, he's definitely a lot older than other kids. And he's, like, just in some short shorts, chopping wood. And he definitely has a creepy vibe. I think he's probably one of the people you're supposed to think maybe right. he's and the killer. Because he's also absent from the camp a lot of the time. And that's what's hilarious to me, because I forgot that that was even a thing. Because even when I was a kid, one of the first Jason movies I saw, I forget which one, um, there's always this question about like well is he the killer is he the killer and usually it's like no it's jason jason's the killer <laughs> um, but in this first one that was like a legitimate sort of setup you didn't you don't know who the killer is that's kind of the point so yeah mr christie is obviously set up um, fairly early as a he's older he has a creepy mustache he seems to be da- not i mean it seems something going on with him and alice alice comes out she's another one of the counselors there's also a bill and a brenda somewhere yeah, we'll have to talk about Bill. So I wonder what Sean Cunningham was trying to do like with the POV shots. Because sometimes it seems like it's definitely a POV shot. Like we see a hand. You know, we know someone's watching. But I wonder if other times, if it's just to give you the idea of being voyeuristic. Maybe it's not necessarily the killer who's watching. Because yeah. sometimes it seems like someone will walk like right by this POV shot. It's like, definitely they would have seen this person. I think that there's kind of trying to make you 
um, on edge because you don't know, is it someone watching or are you just watching? Because my impression is that 80% of the time it's definitely someone, I mean, especially like behind the tree watching, say, someone, you know, jump the lake, whatever. My, that was kind of my... Well, there are some scenes where it's very definitely. And it's also it, then that like ch-ch-ch-ha-ha-ha comes in. Yeah. You know that someone's watching. What's... Another thing that's uh, effective, that I'm just assuming you're mean, you agree that it's effective, but another thing they do is they actually don't have music unless the killer's around. So most of the movie is uh, fairly... Um, you know, non-scored. And some of the times it makes it actually much creepier. Like, you know, when they just have like, say later in the movie, Alice, I'm um, sort of roaming about the kitchen and you kind of don't know, gee, is someone in the pantry or, or whatever, but you kind of do know because there's no music and there's no, there's no ha 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 noise. But it still makes it very kind of unnerving. You don't quite know why. Oh yeah. So then we meet Bill who's in a great painting outfit. That's a great Halloween costume. Wouldn't it be like with the white pants and the red suspenders, no yeah. shirt? So do you, do you know the trivia about Bill? I do. Okay. Well, can you, I guess then I'll let you announce it. You tell it. You're so very excited. Bill is played by, his name is Harry Crosby, mm-hmm. who is Bing Crosby's son. Yeah. So that is awesome. And also Bill was my sort of favorite. Uh, I mean, Kevin Bacon is Kevin Bacon, but Bill's my like crush in this movie. Like I just... Love how quiet it is and how like what kind of buttoned up he is and how he like he's so nice to Alice. Uh-huh. And it's kinda of like the final guy in the movie. He's very cute. But Bill is also the sort of second uh suggested killer, I would I would, yeah. I would argue. Yeah. You know, with the you know we'll talk the about snake. the snake killing okay. and then a, yeah. some of the sort of ominous and I think Bill's even not around in a few key moments. There's a few people that aren't mm. around when certain things happen. They I guess you're supposed to think, you know, gee, is it is it him? Is it her? I mean Then we meet Brenda who's setting up the archery range and she almost gets hit by an arrow by Ned. What a joker. Uh, yeah, that is quite a, quite a joker. He almost hits her with an arrow. He faked his own drowning, which is not ever funny. Everybody's scared. Someone could have gotten hurt trying to save his life just so he could try to make out with Brenda. Yeah. I don't like it. Yeah. I, I mean, I like how he's just a complete nerd. I mean, I guess there always is kind of one of those nerd types. I know, but I think it's just like on that line of like that nice guy type persona where he's like, he's just a nice guy, but he does stuff that's wrong. I I guess I'm thinking about like in 16 Candles, you know, Ducky gets the girl who's like passed out, you know, and it's like, okay, it's okay that he does something to her because he's the nerd. He's so cute, you know? Like he deserves it somehow. Yeah, yeah, so there is a bit that, of that. That's an interesting thing you bring up because there there is this uh, sort of impulse in these early '80s movies, uh, and I know it's weird because it takes place in the present. So why they would use that that stereotype, I don't know. But <laughs> you have these sort of male characters that are sort of put upon and lovable in a sense, and you're almost mad at the girl for not like instantly falling in love with them when it's just like, well, no, they they don't have to be into him. Like it's okay. Yeah. So then we go. We cut back to Annie who's still trying to get to camp. Right. And she gets picked up by a Jeep, which is, okay, this is also confusing because it's the same Jeep that Steve Christie drives. Right, yeah. And in filming, well, no, in filming, it was the same Jeep. Oh, it was, okay. When Steve leaves the camp, he has the the hard top off. Mm. And then when we see the Jeep coming down the road, it has the hard top back on, but it's still the same Jeep. So I definitely think it's Steve Christie. That's the idea, I guess. He's the main killer. That we, the main suspect, I mean, that we, that we're supposed to I would to think. think so. Right. Except about halfway through the movie, he's clearly established to be at this diner. Yeah, like 30 minutes away. Right. So I guess halfway through the movie, the, the filmmakers are saying, nope. <laughs> I, I think we fully fleshed out what, what a moron she is. Because I, I forgot about the line <laughs> she 
says to Enos about, you know, how he's an American original, right. <laughs> which is such a strange, like, off-kilter line that doesn't quite make sense. And he well, says, oh, you damn kid will never learn. Right. And she says, at least I'm not afraid of ghosts. It's just, it's it's so And he's not talking about weird. ghosts. He's talking about a killer. Yeah. <laughs> Listen to the trucker. I think I read that they film their scenes separately. That so like she's sense. not actually talking to anybody and he's not actually talking to her, like the oh. actress. I'm sure there's somebody, there's like a stand in there. Yeah. So it's it's cut very weird. I make fun of Annie, but I love her and I love that actress. So I I'm love just, Annie. Yeah, I'm just she's saying, adorable. The, the the lines they gave her to read are let's admit it, a bit odd and strange. Well, then when she gets in the car with the jeep, she says something weird about when you've had a dream as long as I have, you'll do anything. And it's like, is her dream her dream is going to work <laughs> with kids at a camp? <laughs> She wants right. to cook food for 50 kids? I, I don't understand. She also has that weird line about how she hates when people call them kids. It's like, what else are you supposed to call them? <laughs> like, it also makes me wonder, like, she's being honest with the killer, who we know who it is later. I don't yeah. know why we're, like, this is a spoiler <laughs> podcast. I don't know why we're not saying well, I, I do like this theory that Miss Voorhees goes on this rampage because Annie just pisses her off so much. <laughs> It's like, this is the stupidest bitch of her med. And once we find out why Mrs. Voorhees is killing, you think that she would be like, oh, Annie really loves kids. She wants to work with kids. She passed the test. I'll go drop her off. But I mean, no, she's just like, well, no she may be part. like that, but then Annie said that dumb shit in the Jeep. And she's like, oh, uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not supposed to have all kids. Really? Okay. Knife. <laughs> she jumps out of the car. Yeah. Like a champ. And then the killer follows her and slices her neck. Yeah, it's a good kill. It's a good kill. But it's yeah. disturbing. Yeah, I can see if you were Sheen Siskel in 1980 and maybe you don't watch horror movies. It is a bit upsetting. It, you know, it's not, it kind of comes out of nowhere. It's... Okay, then we have the swimming scene, which is adorable. They're yeah. all just like so young and in their little swimsuits. Yeah, Kevin Bacon's swimsuit is quite a thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, is that like a Speedo? I mean, what is that? I don't know. Is that just the 80s? So this is when we see a definite POV shot. We see a hand that looks very manly, very Mm. manly hand with a ring on, like a man's ring. Mm. And we see it kind of, Well, does Miss Voorhees wear a ring? Do we notice that? I didn't notice that. Interesting. Maybe that's just the director. (laughs) Actually, the swimsuit scene is progressing. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so this is the scene where uh, Ned, you know, Joker that he is, pretends to be dead. They all heroically, or a couple of them, jump in the lake. They all jump into action. Kevin Bacon is a very dramatic dive, yes. which I think you can just do a cannonball. It'd be the same thing. I think that always makes me laugh when people do that dramatic dive into the water. I know, I know. Because uh, I would just stumble in. <laughs> which, you know, even in the Sandlot, they have a scene of that, you know, where the little kid pretends to drown so he can try and make out with the hot right lifeguard that is sexual assault i know that okay. it reminds me of the, the amy schumer joke where she's like that's just rape yes because <laughs> <laughs> he just he does it solely to kiss uh brenda and i know it's just a kiss but you know you kind of what i'm assuming they say oh netty you know again it's that that nice guy kind of thing where it seems yeah. like he should be allowed to get along away with that but yeah. he shouldn't he is not entitled to her no he thinks he is so i'm just gonna say that brenda you're the best <laughs> All right, so then we have a snake in Alice's room. Yeah, I will say uh, that scene always, for obvious reasons, traumatized me when I was a kid. That's probably why I'm so scared of snakes. Mm. Um, but I but the snake gets killed. In real life. I know, but wouldn't that make you feel better? No, it makes me feel worse because I, I have this conflicting thing. I hate snakes. They scare me to death, but I don't want them to be killed. Oh. I feel bad for them. You know, I don't want to kill yeah, them. I like snakes. 
Well, I'm coming around, so I'm doing an experiment myself where Uh-oh. my first impulse is just, to, it's just abject terror. But there's a big snake problem in my neighborhood, so I know one's going to get me at some point. I mean, come in my back door, get in my kitchen. Swallow you whole. Just be there, exist, you know. Right. Or at a minimum, be in my patio and I'll see and have to deal with it. So I'm trying to do this exercise where like, I'm just not that, they're, they're living things. They don't deserve the horror that I impugn on them. Mm-hmm. It's going to be okay. And then I saw that scene and I immediately regressed. <laughs> uh, it was just so scary. Something by the way it wiggles around the, in the in the cabin so quickly. Man. They chopped it up and it was a real snake. I know. I, I, you couldn't do that today, I guess. Bill the machete looks kind of nuts when he's killing it. And he kind of gives yeah. it this glare. Like, which, does he like that? Maybe it's something that he enjoyed? Yeah. I think he's just maybe in shock, like I would be. And then I have to go take a nap. <laughs> Then we have Ned running around in a headdress and a diaper type thing, which that also would not be allowed nowadays. I do laugh out loud when the cop shows up. He says something like, have you seen any crazies out here? And he's like, who? <laughs> Crazy people? And he, whatever he does. Makes yeah. me laugh. Yeah. But so the cop comes out to warn them about Crazy Ralph, which, uh, you know. Who is doing nothing but letting them know what's going to happen. He wants them to be safe. He just can't do it in a normal way, unfortunately. I do think it's funny that they're looking for him at all because the cops come out there. He's like, Crazy Ralph is missing. (laughs) We're we're worried he's up this way. So that presumes there's some conversations like, where's Crazy Ralph like in the town? (laughs) (laughs) Very good one of those kids. (laughs) They say he has a wife. He does? Yeah. Well, good for him. And then the very next scene... And it's kind of a scary scene to me. I mean, I definitely sc- I screamed the second time I watched. I screamed too. <laughs> um, when the crazy Ralph was in the closet in the pantry. Yeah, you know, he's in the pantry. Yeah, Alice opens the pantry, and someone actually says, "Who is that?" And like <laughs> they just warned you that crazy Ralph is out and about. He's like, "I'm crazy and I'm Ralph." And like, who could that be? Um, but again, he's doing his due diligence. He warns them. He's like, "You should not be here. You're going to get murdered. This is camp yep. blood." Yes. And they're... Um, this place is cursed. Yeah. But so they're, they're making dinner and Ned makes a joke and he says, they're like, what are we cooking for dinner? And he says, it's the meat of the old counselors. Really? I didn't catch that part. Yeah. They seem to be aware of these murders. Yeah. So everybody's kind of like splitting off. Right. So... Ned is sad and jealous this whole time. By yes. The and he's watching them from a distance. Yeah. And so Kevin Bacon and Marcy are going off and they're very cute. And then Ned sees someone... Like in a, one of the other cabins, I guess. Right. And he is, again, is not scared. You know, he's kind of like, hey, what's up? So you kind of know, like if it was like a grown man or something. Interesting, yeah. He might be scared, but he's just like, are you okay? Then they kind of, they don't show his death. No, yeah. I always thought there was a big Ned death scene. There's not. There's just a Ned death reveal scene. Right. So then we have a scene with Kevin Bacon and Marcy at the lake. Right. When she talks about her dream. <laughs> right. Is that like your dream? No, but I, I really love it because it's very Twin Peaks to me. That whole scene is very much like a dialogue from some episode of Twin Peaks where it's just slightly off kilter, but super serious. Like you can almost imagine the Twin Peaks music. music oh, for sure. Overriding yeah. the whole scene where like Laura Palmer talks about this dream she had of blood. Yeah. I got so, I mean, I just loved it so much. You know? I thought it was really good. I thought they kind of like put that in there out of nowhere. It's kind of like, oh, wait, this is actually written well and marcy does a great job acting it so do you want me do you want to tell us about her dream well she says that she has a dream well because um kevin bacon says that a storm is coming right the man explaining the storm is coming because she otherwise would have no idea (laughs) she had no clue so she explains that she has a recurring dream about a storm and it starts raining 
and then the rain turns to blood yeah and then there's like rivers of blood that are flowing it's interesting yeah there's nothing like that in any of the the rest of the movie really and early in other movies for that matter it's a nice touch I mean, I wouldn't say it's a premonition of what's to come because she said she's been having this recurring dream. Yeah, nor is it really important, nor does it advance the plot in any way. (laughs) But it's a nice touch. Yeah. And she kind of shows the real people. But so uh, Marcy and Kevin Bacon have a little steamy scene, which Sean Cunningham, I'm sure, was like, this is how we do it. It's some input, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, as far as sex scenes in these type of movies, it's a pretty warm, you know, intimate scene. It's not really... uh, I mean, it's, there's nothing there's gratuitous not nudity, about is there? it. You see Kevin Bacon's butt, I suppose, but maybe some side boob. Or, but, but, yeah. but, but I mean, just the way it's presented. Like, you can tell, like, okay, they're very familiar with each other. <laughs> it's, right. like some, it's not like some <laughs> sex comedy type sex scene. They, like, they seem to really like each other. And, uh, I mean, it makes it a little bit sadder when they die, I guess. And then we pan up on the top bunk and we see Ned's body. Right, yeah, which is a good it, reveal, a good reveal. It looks like his throat is cut, too. Yeah, she likes uh, she likes cutting throats. So then in the other cabin, Brenda is so fun. She says they're going to play Monopoly. And I honestly thought, she was like, they said Monopoly's boring. And she said, not the way I play it. And I was like, there's no way Monopoly. Oh. And she says strip Monopoly. And I was like, oh, she's right. I can't. That is fun. Well, I was thinking, oh, like house rules where you put all the money in the corner? That's fun. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think Monopoly's always fun. But anyway. I, I think Monopoly's fun, too. If someone whipped that out at a camp party, as I mean, I'd be into it. So, much less a strip aspect of it, which if anything would make me wildly nervous. But oh yeah, me too. Um, but they have a they have a couple beers. They have some grass. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think that's presented as some sort of again like this sin they're doing. Which no, I don't think so either. This whole take on how these movies are almost prudish and that the people that make it are sort of championing the killings of these sort of sinners, I suppose, you know, people that do mm. drugs or have sex, or whatever. Yeah. And again, that doesn't really seem to be the case with this movie. I mean, what's well, also what Wes Craven said, he said that, well, that's what teenagers are doing anyway. They happen to be murdered. <laughs> right. They're not being punished. And also like in Mrs. Voorhees flashback, like she watches him drown. Did she see it? Why didn't she go get it? Oh, I just thought that was kind of her imagination. Yeah. That's, that's what I was thinking though. too, maybe. Yeah. It'd be weird if she that's was watching the windows. Like, is that Jason? Should I do something? <laughs> <laughs> I can't let this stew burn. <laughs> I'll be there one second, Jason. <laughs> I need some like seasoning. Well, so then we have Kevin Bacon's death. That's pretty spooky can we agree is by hands down the best death scene in the movie i mean the best kill i mean it's so yes. good it's just so yes. original coming from under the bed which is always scary because that's always something that you're scared of you have two scares though you have the hand across his neck yes his forehead i guess so that's scary three scares you have the blood dripping down his forehead yes so scared one you're like oh my god what's gonna happen uh you have hand across his forehead scary two followed within seconds by a freaking severe through his throat right which is shown pretty explicitly right i mean that i mean i imagine yeah. no yeah it's it comes through you can see the the point and everything from under the bed can't remember does marcy find can i, can I read you my notes on marcy <laughs> please i was probably had a few beers i wrote marcy goes to take a pee gets an axe to the noggin <laughs> <laughs> so i don't have a lot to say she never actually finds jack's body kevin bacon right no she goes off to the bathroom and then mrs Voorhees kills kevin bacon and then goes off to the bathroom where Marcy is washing her hands and Marcy hears something in the shower, I guess, and goes and yeah. checks it out. It actually just occurred to me that I guess Miss Voorhees was under the bed when they were having sex. That's kind of weird. Ooh, what a creep. 
Yeah. I mean, amongst other things. But. <laughs> yeah, she must have been. Well, then so, and then so Marcy gets an axe to the head, which, which that's a really great effect, especially in 1979. She opens one curtain. No one's there. Right. She opens a second curtain. No one's there. But then you see the shadow behind her. There's kind of a fun twist where you see the axe come down and then it sort of fades to another shot. And you think, okay, they're not going to show it. And then she the axe just right in her head. Yeah. yeah. Oh <laughs> my gosh. It's just, it's weirder when it's like people you kind of like. It's, it's a little more dis- disturbing, is not the word, because it's still kind of fun. You know, it's horror is fun at the end of the day, but it, it is more slightly upsetting when it's people that aren't just like complete assholes. Like, oh, oh, Marcy, oh no, you know. So then we go back to Brenda and Bill and Alice. And so, like we said, Alice kind of had a thing with Steve Christie, the owner. But then she also seems to kind of like Bill, and Bill likes her. Alice end up, we, we'll go ahead and spoil it. She ends up being our final girl. She does. And she's a good one. Her name is uh, Adrian King. So after the movie came out, Adrian King, the actress, was stalked by a, a fan or somebody. And it was really scary. Like he would, I think, send her things, and he was outside her home, and maybe oh my gosh. break the door or something. So they asked her to come back for the sequel. And she was like, well, Maybe not because I'm really going through something. So I'll, I'll do a little bit of it, but I just can't go through this again. So she that's why in the second movie, she's not the she's she should, she's in it for like 10 minutes and that's it. Oh, and my she, gosh. And she never really acted again. That's a real concern, especially back then before they had much more security. Like Rebecca Schaefer. Did you hear about, you know, about her story? Which one is she? She was, she was a young actress who was, you know, doing very well. And she ended up being murdered by a fan. Really? So I get that. Well, now Adrian King has a winery in Oregon, and I'm going to go out there next summer. And oh, I asked my mom if we could go Crystal Lake Wineries, and she makes all different types of wine. And it's really cool because like the names of the wines are based on the movie. I, I forget what they are right now. I had to look them up, but but they're like you know Final Girl Chardonnay or whatever. And again, even that story may be a little bit apocryphal because she's also said, "Well, no, I showed up for the second movie. They didn't really want me. So who knows what the real story is?" Right. Right. Brenda and Bill and Alice are playing. Yeah, I was kind of fascinated by what exactly the rules were. I guess if you land on someone's property instead of... You take off a piece of clothes. Yeah, but what if there's a hotel? I mean... Well, that takes a while to get hotels, though. Because I noticed, like, at one point, like, Bill just takes off his socks. I thought, okay, well, maybe that's, like, a property without a house or hotel. I don't think you'd even get to that point. Right. It takes a while because you have to get a monopoly. You have to get all three of a place, and then you put it on a house. Then, if you have enough money, you can buy three houses and replace it with a hotel. Oh, so you're right. I think everyone would wild. be naked. Alice is pretty dressed. Alice is fine. Yeah, she must be kicking She's doing well. <laughs> but then Brenda is just like in her, like yeah, little she's in her nighty underwear. and yeah. underwear. And so, so she goes home. She doesn't put her clothes on for some reason. She grabs all of her stuff. She puts her raincoat on because it's raining, yeah. but she does grab her stuff. So that's, that's I mean, that kind of makes sense. I mean, I guess she's like, well, I'm going to get wet anyway. Yeah, but then she goes home and she's already in like her undies or like a little nighty, but then she puts on like a floor length <laughs> pajama thing. Like it's sleeves. a nighty. It's a nighty. <laughs> she gets in her Victorian nightgown. That's what I said. Right, right. <laughs> um, but this is one thing I always forgot about when I watched the movie is that she hears the little boy outside the cabin saying, "Help yeah. me, help me," which is weird because I mean, once you know what. I mean, I guess that's Miss Voorhees, you know. Yeah, she to be, must be doing the voice. Yeah, which is it's so very creepy. psycho. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, very psycho. It's a reverse psycho. The whole movie, you think? About yes, it. yes. Oh, yes, yes. I put that in my notes somewhere. Reverse psycho. Like you were saying about how we care for these kids. They're not like 
bad kids. Brenda decides she's had enough. She's going home. She's going to get in bed with a book, yeah. a little candle, what you know? What a sinner, yeah. Well, she is high <laughs> on pot, so... Yeah. She goes out into the rain because she hears help. Someone needs help. I mean, that's a yeah. good person, right? Whoever turns on the lights, the archery range. I'm not sure why. That just kind of freaks me out. So that's, I guess, the last thing she sees. We don't quite know what exactly happens to her. Right. So now we have Alice left. We uh-huh. have and Bill. Bill left. And then somewhere out there is Mr. Christie. Right. So we have three people they, they may have already shown him at the diner. The yeah. diner. Or maybe they haven't. I'm not sure. I so. think they have because so he's at the diner and he's talking to the waitress. The scene kind of goes on for like 15 minutes for some reason. <laughs> the uh, waitress gives him change. It takes a while. <laughs> right. It's like one of those things like you don't have to shoot everything. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I guess the point of that is like, okay, well, we know he's not there killing people. So he's not the killer, which is an odd. I'm not sure why they just let that go halfway through the movie. Right. Well, yeah. So Alice and Bill... They find an axe tucked in bed, which I guess is the axe that killed Marcy. They try the phones. The phones have been cut out. The car won't start. All those classic horror movies. Yeah, there's that great Hitchcock shot of like, you know, that you see the, it's kind of one of those observer shots you're talking about, although it's really just the camera, but you see the Alice and Bill in the generator room, or a room, and you see the camera pull up. Goes yes. over their head, and then you see the phone lines you cut. Even with Steve, they have a an extended scene where his car won't go through the mud, and a, the cop drives him back. He has to walk back to camp. I yeah. guess the cop drops him off, and he gets blinded by a <laughs> yeah blinded by a flashlight, and he recognizes his attacker. Right he, again, he's like, "Hey, oh, what's up?" And then he gets stabbed in the belly. Yeah, stab, stab, stab. So then somehow Alice and Bill get separated. I guess yeah. Alice is is this the scene when Alice is like in the kitchen? Yeah, well, Bill goes to check the generator by himself, apparently. Oh, okay, okay. And we don't quite see what happens to him, but my heart breaks because he's such a nice guy and he's so handsome. And I think he and Alice got got together and just, that should have been the movie. <laughs> I would have watched that. <laughs> uh, but then there's that great scene, to me, I, I love it, where Alice is just in the kitchen. And this is very, where it kind of reaches the height of like like Halloween. Like that, just that scene of her in the kitchen. It, yeah, to me, it's like yeah. extremely frightening. There's no music. It's, I think it's where the movie's like kind of most effective as far as, uh, you know, Stone Temple Pilots rip off of Pearl Jam kind of way. Uh, <laughs> but then we start having that part where we find start finding all the bodies. Yeah, these are the, this is the classic. And so I think Halloween did this a little bit, but this is the, the real trendsetter, I yes. think, where bodies just popping out everywhere. And then you know, okay, we're in the last 20 minutes of the movie because it's kind of what happens, you know? Yeah. We also ca- talked about how it's similar to the end of... American Psycho, they kind of have that, and it must be sort of an homage to these movies, you know, where all of a sudden all the bodies are falling out. That's what I was thinking of. That drove me crazy. I've been thinking Uh, about that for a week is like, what movie did we talk about? Yes. I knew it was one of that sort of rift on this theme. I I was like, was it Sansa Lambs? I was like, no, was that Midsummer? No. And I couldn't, yeah, American Psycho. Yeah. Our most listened to episode, by the way. So she finds Bill hanging on the back of the door. Yeah. He's again got his throat slashed. He's, got he's also, also got arrows arrow in, in him. The, in the eye, yeah. Yeah. In the chest. She runs into the cabin. Um, she's actually pretty smart. She ties a rope around the door and hangs it to a ceiling beam to keep the yeah. door closed. You know, she puts wooden furniture in front of the door. She does that for a while, even though there seems to also be a back door and like windows. But she's trying. Well, she hadn't seen all the horror movies. And it's also kind of funny because, like, does Miss Voorhees know that, like, Alice is, okay, well, Alice is the final girl. So I really got to ramp up this shit at this point. Because right. <laughs> she's got booby traps going. She's got bodies falling. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny how she I know. Over. Brenda's body gets thrown in through a window. And so she has a rope 
tied around her oh, and yeah. she has a cut to her face, but I'm, I'm not sure how she died. So then Alice sees the Jeep show up. She assumes it's Steve's Jeep because, again, this is the same Jeep. Oh, yes. Oh, I, I didn't even think about that. She thinks it's Steve. Yes. I mean, in the movie, it's supposed it's two separate Jeeps. Okay. But in the filming, I think they only had one Jeep. And so this old lady comes out and says she's a friend of the Christie's. She gives this whole backstory. And so Alice starts to feel a little safe, but you can tell she's still a little hesitant, you know? But that's one of the genius things about the movie, in a way. It's like, you're not going to expect, you know, Miss Voorhees, when she shows up, like... Is it genius, or is it cheating? It's a little bit... It's both. Even if you read any Agatha Christie novel, or any... I mean, even if you just watch an episode of CSI or Bones, they put the killer in there somewhere. And it ends up being the janitor, or, you know, yeah. there's always a, somebody... That you might think it would be, but there, this just wasn't an option. So it's just uh, Betsy Palmer, who played Miss Voorhees, actually advocated for her to be in the diner scene. Ah, because she said it doesn't make sense. I have to be somewhere. It's the mystery, yes. right? And they're like, "Well, no, it's not really a mystery." And she's like, "What is this fucking movie?" <laughs> uh, because famously, when she read the script, she's like, "This is the biggest piece she's ever read." And she wasn't gonna do it. Betsy Palmer was kind of the uh, the established actress of the movie. A lot of these old movies had that, you know. Yeah, and I think that's what Gene Siskel was so offended by was that you know this actress right. from the fifties right. and sixties that he grew up watching would be in this slash movie, which hilariously is like the only reason I know who she is. <laughs> right. <laughs> this lady gets out of the jeep. And she says, I'm Miss Voorhees. I'm an old friend of the Christie's. Yes. And every gay in America wakes up. Because <laughs> we have an iconic gay icon. <laughs> well, then she goes into a whole... She does her, um, as they call in The Incredibles, they call it when the villain starts monologuing. Right. Pretty instantly. <laughs> well, she comes in and she sees Brenda's body and she's like, oh, poor thing. There's a few twists. At first, she says, there was a boy who drowned here. His name was Jason, which that's in itself sort of an iconic line but then she kind of you know pivots and says you see jason is my son and today is his birthday which i think i just get chill just just watch that scene it's so good i mean it's like it is it is you're right it's very psycho to me it's very his shock it's very well also the music in this particular scene is very psycho yeah she's wearing this unassuming sweater and kind of got her yeah goes to attack alice alice hits her with a fire poker yeah the music is very like ding 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 yeah. just like very psycho she kind of explains in her own weird way which makes a certain amount of sense she's basically trying to prevent the camp from opening i can't let this camp run again because last time my son got killed so her, yeah. her main animosity is not necessarily against the counselors per se it's just a means of doing end i mean i'm sure she doesn't love them so then there's a pretty crazy fight there's a chase there's bodies everywhere she's running out the door alice throws some twine at her mrs Voorhees slaps her <laughs> she slaps um, the shit out of her <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> i did laugh at that i love a good early 80s slap <laughs> she got into the jeep but annie's body was still in there so yeah. like mrs Voorhees like killed her and then dragged her back to the jeep and that's that's dedication yeah. that's pretty good i guess she liked looking at her and then she could have taken that Jeep, but she freaks out. I, I mean, I would have just pushed Annie out and taken the Jeep. But she gets back out, goes back into her cabin. You have that kind of cool montage of, like, the moon and Miss Voorhees and, like, her kind of imitating Jason's voice and saying, kill them, oh kill them. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And they have a great, uh, here's Mrs. Voorhees. Yeah, the, the pantry scene. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so again, this is, this is the same years as Shining. So they're not I know. ripping off that movie. But it's hilarious no. to think. Well, I don't think because how would they have had time to... Because this movie was shot in 1979. So yeah. The Shining hadn't even come out yet. 
I um, know. But had the shine come out, they still would have ripped it off because it's the type of movie it is. <laughs> right. Um, but it actually, if anything, it's... I'm sure like when this movie came out, they were like, damn it, we should have just waited one more year. We could have stolen so much from The Shining. Right. So really, uh, to me, it's, it's much more the the, pantry, the the closet scene in Halloween where Jamie Lee Curtis is in the closet and Michael yeah. Myers. Although it does have much more of a Shining vibe just with the axe coming through it. Or it's very much like arachnophobia when the spiders are trying to get into the bathroom. That's... <laughs> We should have, we need to do that right now for the part two episode because that was <laughs> so fun. Alice knocks out Mrs. Voorhees for like the tenth time. Yeah, like she keeps knocking her out instead of actually ending it. Then goes out to the lake. Then she gets attacked again. And I mean, I don't want Alice to die, but I mean, what do you? Come on, Alice gets the machete. Yes, and, then, and what happens? And then the music ramps up. <laughs> yeah, and then everything kicks in a slow mo. One of the best uses of slow mo in a movie ever, I think. <laughs> And then she runs at uh, Miss Voorhees with a machete and cuts her goddamn head off. And then she yes. maybe shows it. Yes. Which I had actually kind of forgotten. I, for, in my mind, I just thought they just cut to her machete and then kind of show her head on the ground or something. They show the machete go through her head and her head just tumble off. It's great. <laughs> so that's well, the yeah, Tom Savini of it all, I guess. Yeah. Well, also, like, because uh, we talked about in Dawn of the Dead, Tom Savini had that great scene where a head exploded. And yes. that was the first time that yeah. happened on screen and they were all like so pumped about it so this was like probably the first time they've had this particular scene and the the thing that gives me the goosebumps the whole final girl of it all is just the look on alice's face <laughs> when she's running up to machete that bitch i mean she has the craziest look on her face well i loved when after mrs Voorhees gets her head cut off her hands are still reaching out yes. like no <laughs> <laughs> right it's really really great yeah well, then Alice goes out into the lake to take a nap, you know, as you do. <laughs> right. I mean, she's in shock. It makes sense. The police show up, but why would the police come? Were they just making their rounds or because no one called the police? That was a good point. Yeah. Maybe the cop that dropped off Steve was coming to check on him, make sure everybody got there okay. So this last scene with her in the lake, which looks stunning, just beautifully shot. Uh, the filmmakers openly admit that they wanted to ape. The last scene of Carrie, another right. big hit from a few years earlier. Yeah. And uh, my God, they just do a great job. Of the, so <laughs> Alice is in the lake. She's just in her canoe waiting for the police to rescue her. Freaking Jason jumps out of the water, grabs her. The music soars, the sort of psycho music, pulls her into the lake. Jason looks like a little freak, you know? Well, yeah, but her. so I was confused about that because I have not seen the sequels in a long time. It doesn't seem like it was ever established that he was like deformed. I don't know. He's super deformed. Yeah, I know. But was that established in this movie? Because when he jumps out of the lake, I just assumed that was because he had been, you know, laying in the lake for 20 years. I forgot that in the movie, she wakes up. So it's sort of established right. that maybe it's a dream. In my mind, it just the movie ends with him pulling her in the lake. You and think for, the whole thing was a dream or just that ending part? No, the ending part. The ending okay. Part. okay. Um, because Jason obviously would be an adult at that point uh, as the movie has proved out. But uh, my idea is that it's just a representation of everyone's idea of Jason, what he would look like. But he's also, even in the flashback, he was kind of deformed looking. There's something going on with him. Like when he was drowning? Yeah. I couldn't like tell. He's bald and he's, something kind of could go on. Okay, okay. The filmmakers, that's kind of all they intended to do with it. Like they kind of thought that'd be, it was just done as a scare. They did not intend Jason to come back at all. Oh, okay. Like when Friday the 13th Part 2 was announced, Sean Cunningham thought that sounded like really stupid. Uh, Jason is he's not supposed to come back you know it, that was just a, a scare and then uh, Victor Miller said the same thing he's like that sounds really dumb 
So they were all really surprised when they brought Jason back part two and then it mm-hmm. really took off. But they had nothing to do with it. It was like a whole other creative team, except like the producer. Interesting. For my money, Friday the 13th part two is at least as good as the first one. Sure. I can't wait to watch it. Yeah. So as a horror movie, as a Jason movie, I mean, at least 4.5. Okay. Yeah. yeah. 4.5 what? Kevin Bacon's. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's definitely, you know, dated and like some of the, I mean, like you said, the reveal of Pamela Voorhees doesn't really work as like a mystery device. It's cheating. Yeah. But at the same time, it's not a mystery movie. It's not supposed to be. But they Like if it was based on a true story, then sure, you can do that. But this was, this was a story. This was a, I mean, they made it like a whodunit type movie. Yeah. You got to let us, you know, try to guess. That's the fun part of movies like this you know what's happening and then it's like what i I didn't how would i fucking know that (laughs) you know it's fascinating to think like how this movie played today if none of the sequels existed like Mm. i I bet it'd be like a cult classic oh for sure more like a sleepaway camp or uh but now jason Voorhees has this larger than life legend all right so we have um alice as the final girl in this movie right so what i thought would be fun to do is if we chose our top five final girls but only of the movies that we have done on the podcast. Right. The ones that I have, we did Alien. So Ellen Ripley. See, that's why I thought it would be so controversial because I was going to immediately pick Ripley. But I thought you would say no because it's not really... A, I mean, is she a final girl exactly? Yeah, I think so. Because when we talked about it, it was just like, she seems like she's one of the first final girls. Okay, well, I'm glad she's included. Yeah. Okay. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, obviously. Sally. Sally exactly. Played by Marilyn Burns. Nightmare on Elm Street, Nancy, Nancy. played by Heather Langenkamp. Clearly up there. Halloween is Laurie Strode, played by Jamie Lee Curtis. Then Friday the 13th, obviously. Alice, yeah. We have Alice. The Witch, Tominson, played by Anna Taylor-Joy. Is she a final girl? (sighs) See, that's where you get tricky. I'm not sure because there's not... I mean, A, because she sort of joins the sort of evil. Mm -hmm. And B, I don't know, we'll we'll keep her in the running, but I'm, I'm not sure that... That's questionable whether she counts. Okay. Uh, the Descent. Interesting. We have yeah. Sarah, Rashana yeah. McDonald. Right. Okay. Now with Scream, there's Sydney Prescott. Yeah. But there's also Gail Weathers. Right. Yeah. So how do you... Both of them, you know. for sure. Yeah. Okay. I think they both count. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I think um, Sydney Prescott is, is the obvious family girl, but I don't think you can discount Gail. Okay. What about Midsummer, Danny? I thought about that. I don't know because there's... All that, of her friends are picked off, though, one by one, and she's the last left. Yeah, but there's also a little bit of complicity in her actions at the end, which I think takes her out of the final girl territory. Okay, well, that also takes Thomason out. I, exactly. Whenever okay. you're complicit in the evil doing, I think you have to be removed a little bit. Okay. Because you're not really surviving in the same way. So here are some other questionable ones. What about um, in the movie Us? What about Lapina Nyong'o? More so than Midsummer, the other one. Yeah, I still question it because... No, that, 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 yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Okay. What about It Follows, Jay? I think it's a little bit different, though, when you follow this, the main character. Like, it's different when you're following a bunch of characters, and one girl okay. sort of survives, and that's the final girl, versus she's always the main character. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. What about Crimson Peak? Ooh. Mia Wachowska. Nah, no, no. I mean, I love she, it. She but... doesn't join the evil, though. But there's no... 
it's just because again she's the main character she's not like this okay. I, I think the rule is you have to be one of several characters i mean you're right jamie lee curtis is also the main character but she's one of several okay and, that's why we're talking about it it's okay. fine all right all right Calm down. what about invisible man cecilia Ooh. elizabeth moss no I just, I just don't think it quite it's quite the same thing okay so let's say alien texas chainsaw massacre well, what about sansa lambs i guess i just broke my rule because that's the same kind of thing yeah. So All Pet right. Cemetery, no. I don't know. Is Ellie in Pet Cemetery the final girl? <laughs> right. I think Shelley Duvall kind of has to have a little bit of a sh- uh, final girl energy. Hmm. Just because, you know, you have the end of the movie, you have all the crazy shit happening. She's running around with a knife. There's also the iconography of it. If you're covered in blood, if you're terrified, or you're running around, it kind of counts. I think we we think we, what we talk about is that people need to pick the top three. So Three or five. Kristen slash sometimes does better podcast Twitter account. I was going to set up a poll. Yeah. So everyone vote on who you think the top, really, I guess the top one should be because ultimately they'll help us sort out our top three and we'll decide who the best final girl is. All right. Well, and I have a good true crime for this too. Oh, good. But they good, allegedly good. say it's based on, I'm not sure if that's true or not, but it's a good, it's a good true crime that we'll get to next week. But anyway, do we have any final thoughts on Friday the 13th, the original? I think it's very enjoyable, Good. and I, I understand that it's a ripoff of Halloween, but that's okay. Yeah, Everything's it, inspired by something. It does something. I mean, the uh, you know, Led Zeppelin ripped off Muddy Waters. <laughs> Led Zeppelin was good, right? Uh huh. Okay. I, I will say that on Voodoo, you can rent, you can buy all eight movies for like fourteen dollars. Wow. Which is what I did. They're on high def. You just buy it on voodoo and then so make sure you follow us on twitter at sometimes dead four and we'll put up a poll and then follow us on instagram and everything else and let us know what we got wrong uh make sure you rate and review that would be very helpful and that's it have a happy halloween if we don't see you absolutely all right good night bye had an issue like I had when I first started Castle Rock and Peter O'Toole showed up and I just went and I just started watching Lost again this kind of same things happen when I saw Michael Emerson Peter O'Quinn (laughs) Peter (laughs) O'Toole Terry Terry O'Quinn okay wait let's go start over (laughs) I'm telling you I have had half a beer and it already hit me so I kind of had the same issue I had when I started watching Castle Rock I can't even get through this. That'd be one of those things where someone said, they get a lot of things wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Peter O'Toole's Don Castle Rock. Fun, but inaccurate. They don't do enough research. <laughs> <laughs> Terry O'Quinn. Right. Okay.